0: Thank
1: Baptist how are we all right good to have you with us here today welcome to you all if you're a guest with us today Uh, So glad to have you here. My name is Brad. I'm the pastor here at Southview. It's uh, just such a blessing to have you with us today. If you are a guest, we'd love to connect with you. Uh, Best way we can do that is just simply if you just grab your cell phone and text the word CONNECT to the number on the screen. 910-424-1298. Just text CONNECT there. uh, And we'll send you a link. Tap on that. Answer a couple of quick questions. Uh, just so we can know who you are and how to minister to you in the best way possible. Uh, but again, we're just so thankful that you're here today. And and for everyone else, uh, what's going on? We've got our big three announcements, big three things we want everyone to know uh, as we begin this week. Number one is this, our facility upgrades. So we're in the process of painting and carpeting uh, around our facility. So thank you so much for your patience with that. You're coming in every week and it's a different construction project going on, so Thank you very much for your patience in all of that. But in the process of that as well, we're also re-keying our building. We've talked about this. We're going to do it last week. I had to push it off this, this week. So as of this week, tomorrow, we're going to be re-keying keying all of our doors. And so if you have a position in our church that requires you to have a key, we want to make sure you have a right key. All right. So you can start coming in on Wednesday uh, to get a correct key as we'll be re-keying all the facilities. Also, as we're doing upgrades and changing things around, We're also updating some of our uh, security measures, especially when it comes to our kids and our check in process, and making sure we're doing what we can to be good stewards of the blessings God's given us in our kids. One of the ways that we're doing that is we want to reiterate and make sure you understand as parents, you have to be the one to check your child in at the check in area, all right? Kids can't check themselves in and run to class. Parents got to use the kiosk, parents have to check in. Parents take their kids to class, so be sure to to be doing that. And then also, you're probably going to see some more folk walking around with vests on, a little more of a presence. Again, just because we love our kids, we want to be as much of a uh, a blessing to families as possible. So if you can remember that, that would be amazing. Second big announcement, baptism. Uh, We're doing baptism uh, uh, October 24th. Today's going to be your last day to sign up for that, all right? So if you're interested in going for baptism on October 24th, sign up by texting the word BAPTISM to 910-424-1298, and we'll touch base with you and walk through that process with you, Uh, but be sure to do that today. And then Halloween outreach. Uh, After the 11 o'clock service, we're going to be meeting in the multimedia room which is as you walk out this door, uh, head down that direction, or you can head down this direction, uh, down our children or youth halls. You'll see our multimedia room there. Uh, Just meet there after the 11 o'clock service, and we'll walk through what this is, what it looks like, and how we can help you do that. So that's going to be directly after the 11 o'clock service. And it's such a blessing. Again, I just want to encourage you to, to, to do this if you can. So last year, we were doing it at our house. So we set up a tent. We're giving out hot dogs and candy. Also, one of the things we do is we set up a little prayer board. Ask people if there are any prayer requests. We can pray for them. And so, um, so people are coming by and doing that. And um, so we had a family come by on a golf cart. We got a lot of golf carts in our neighborhood. So family came by on a golf cart. And they were filling out. A lady came out. And her kids got candy. And she wrote on the board. And they hopped in the golf cart and went on to the next house. And so we're looking at it, Marie looked at the board and said, um, could you pray for my family? My husband is in a deployment right now, so we'll just pray for our family. So Marie was like, just felt impressed. She's like, well, let me just pray for this lady now. So she runs down and catches the golf cart and says, can I pray for you now? I said, sure, absolutely, that'd be great. So prayed for, and as she's praying for her, praying for her family, uh, in the process of that, she just kind of felt impressed, sort of in her spirit, just to pray, Lord, we ask that He comes home even quicker than He's supposed to, Lord, like it, soon, now, like let Him just come home. His family, His family really needs Him, and which is a ridiculous thing to pray. It's the U.S. Army, right? So, so Amen. That was in, and and she's done. The next week, we come home, and there's a note on our door. From the lady, hi, you may not remember me. I came by your house last week for Halloween, and you prayed for me. I just want you to know, I just got word from my husband. He's on a plane and coming home. Amazing. And so this lady is just blown away to the point now, a year later, she comes back and uh, contacts my wife and says, hey, we're going through some things. We're you know, wanting to get pregnant. We're going to have a, another baby. Can you pray for me in that? Like, sure, absolutely. Because of handing out candy, And saying, is there any way we can pray for you? A a long-term discipling, mentoring, witnessing relationship has developed right there in our neighborhood. This is why we do it. It's an opportunity for you to have a real-life connection with people in your neighborhood. So that you can develop that and see something happen for the glory of God. So if you're interested in being a part of that, after the 11 o'clock service... Go in the multimedia room. We'd love to talk with you about it and kind of answer any questions and see how you can jump in and be a part of it. But for any of our other announcements, as always, download our app. We ask you to do this every week. This is the best way for you to stay connected with us, engaging with the church. Download the app, iTunes or Google Play. You're going to be able to find a journey group. You're going to be able to give online. Two main ways to give, either through the app, online, or at the giving boxes as you leave. Whatever works best for you. You can give online, find a journey group, find all the announcements going on, sign up for events, all of those things. You can find previous uh, services, you can get sermon notes, all of that stuff right there on the app. So download that app, use that uh, so you can stay engaged. I want to read a scripture to you as we begin our time together uh, in worship. Mark chapter 10, verses 43 and 45. Listen to how Jesus is describing himself. Mark 10, 43 and 45. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And then verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we talk a lot around here about you serving and our desire that you would serve in some capacity. Right? Serve in a ministry in some way, shape, or form. And, and, and indeed you should. We encourage you to do that. We think that's, that's a right thing uh, to do. But more so than the what we want you to do, what's even more significant than that is that you understand the why. The why that you serve, the why that you do anything, is not because as a Christian, you know, it's just what you're supposed to do. The why is because who Jesus is and what he has done in you. So we gather in here to worship. How do we worship? Why do we worship? We worship because Jesus, the ultimate worshiper, now lives inside of us and he empowers us to worship. Why do we give? Because Jesus, the great giver, who gave all that we might be saved, now lives inside of us and empowers us to give. Why do you serve in a ministry, whether it's kids' ministry, youth ministry, parking lot, band, fill in the blank? The reason you serve is because Jesus, the great servant, gave his life to serve you, to save you, now lives inside of you and empowers you to serve. If serving in no way, shape, or form wells up inside of you as something that you would be led to do at all, my encouragement for you is to look to Jesus. Why is that? Why isn't that welling up inside of you? Jesus, the great servant who served you, lives inside of you and empowers you to serve. And if you're not desiring to serve or willing to serve or wanting to serve or stirred up to serve, that's the reason why there's a disconnect there. Which is why the whole reason that we do worship here, what the whole point of a Sunday morning worship is to point you to Jesus. Not give you good life lessons, not teach you how to live your, 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 have a better marriage or have a better life. Or, the goal of everything we do here is to point you to Jesus Christ. And as you see Jesus and are changed by Jesus, you're now going to be led by Jesus to, to, to walk in the fullness of the life that he gives you. Look to Jesus. So let's bow our heads. I want to lead us in prayer as we worship here together. Again, why do we give? Why do we worship? Why do we serve? Why do we do any of these things? It's because Jesus Christ, the great servant, the great giver, the great worshiper, now lives inside of you and empowers you to do. So, Jesus, I pray, yes, as we think about things like serving in ministries, I ask you, Jesus, that you would empower us to look to you and see you as the great servant that fills us and empowers us to be servants. But, Lord, in anything and everything, I pray, Jesus, for us right here this morning that we look to you. Jesus, we look to you. You, you are our source of life and hope and everything else. Jesus, we ask you that you would empower us today. Jesus, let us see you. You promised in your word that if we lift you up, you will draw all men to yourself. So I pray, God, that we would do our part, and we know that you're going to do yours. Today, all we want to do is lift you up, Jesus, and ask you to do your part in drawing people to deeper life in you. Do that in this room right now today, Jesus, as we lift you up and make much of you draw every heart here to a deeper, more intimate, more powerful walk with you. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. We lift up you. We glorify you. We worship you. This is all just about you. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. And it's
2: in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Stand with us because these things are true. We can sing and we can celebrate. We can praise our Lord and Savior together in the full assurance of Christ. say with the psalmist but I have trusted in your steadfast love my heart shall rejoice in your salvation I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me because he sings a true church because he has given his very life so that you might have life so that we would be complete in Christ scripture says lacking nothing isn't that amazing that if we submit to Christ under the blood of the cross and the free gift of salvation, if we would just simply believe by faith that Christ is who He says He is and He has done what He says He's done, we have unity with the Father, co-heirs with Christ, and we can sing that these things are true, that He loves you and He cares for you, not simply for your benefit but for his glorification and so when we live this way then he is glorified when we believe these things are true then his name is lifted up and that's the point of salvation so Jesus loves me yes so that I might glorify him let's see.
1: love of Jesus what a great springboard into a little time of praying together thinking about his sacrifice his love for us when you think about when you pray in Jesus name right that's not just the way you uh, say goodbye to God right that's not the way you hang up there is something to it there's a reason why we are doing this because we're praying in the By His name, by His authority, by His power, because of who He is, we now have access to God. So when we think about prayer, the model that we go by is uh, Matthew chapter 6, where it is the Lord's Prayer. And, you know, he says, uh, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's the sort of the model prayer that Jesus lays out. I, I want to focus just for a second on verse 11, which says, Give us this day our daily bread. Uh, Jesus. Wants you to present your requests. Wants you to present your needs. Wants you to set those things before him. This, this idea that um, you know, God's super busy, so I don't want to bother him with, with things that are on my heart or needs that I have or what's going on. That, please, we just got through singing how much Jesus loves you, right? And so uh, he, he wants to hear these things. But I want to show you maybe a little different aspect of it. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Just just see what this says. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. As we present our request to God, this isn't just, um, here are my list of things, God, I need you to do. We, we understand all that. And yes, God does indeed answer our prayer, asking it will be given to you, seeking you will find, knocking the door will be opened to you. But there's a deeper thing that happens as well. Not just that that specific thing gets answered, that specific thing gets done in the way that we believe that it should or whatever. A greater thing that happens as well is God does something not only in answering that request, but he does something in you in the process. It, again, we, all through the book of Galatians, what are we saying? The Christianity is about your heart, not your hands. Right? It's about your heart and not your hands. It's not about what you do. It's not about your circumstances. It's not about your situations. It's about your heart in Christ. Same thing with our prayer life in Christ. It's not just about getting that prayer request answered. It's about God doing something different and powerful in you in the process. And Philippians 4, 6, and 7 is speaking to that. Let your request be made known to God. Absolutely. Verse 7, and then the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When you're setting your request before the Lord, what you're saying is, I trust you with this completely and totally. And whatever it is you want to do with this, I am absolutely okay with because I trust you. And then that peace of God that doesn't make earthly sense, it surpasses all understanding, guards, protects, stands by your heart, your emotions, your mind, your thoughts, guarding them in Christ Jesus. So let's bow our heads for a moment. And and every person in this room has a prayer request list, right? It may be one big giant thing, maybe a whole list of things. You have something that you're praying through. I want to encourage you this morning to set that request before the Lord just like you have in the past, I'm sure. And as you're doing that, I want to encourage you to do it in a way where you're you're not just saying, Lord, I need you to answer this prayer. But do it in a way where you're saying, God, I completely trust you with this. I am laying this before you. You are the great, glorious, person perfect, sovereign, ruler, king of the universe. You can do anything in this situation you want to do in a, in a split second. So I trust you with it. I'm laying it at your feet. You know my request. You know what I'm asking and I'm desiring. But I'm trusting you with this. You do your will. You accomplish your will. And you empower me to trust you. And see the peace of God that passes all understanding guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Set that before the Lord. Lord, I know that there are many requests all over this room. And God, I thank you that uh, there isn't a single request in this room that you consider small or you consider great. There's nothing in this room that's been set before you in prayer right now that you look at it and go, that is so tiny. Why in the world are you bringing that to me? What is your problem? Suck it up. And there isn't a single request in this room that's been set before you right now where you go, wow, that is massive. I, I, I'm not sure what I'm going to be able to do with that. Nothing's too big. Nothing's too small. But I pray, God, for us as, as your people, that as we set these requests before you, God, we are going to set our hearts before you. And we're trusting you with it. We trust you with our hearts. We trust you with this situation. We trust you with what you're doing. I pray, God, in this room right now, you fill us with faith to trust you with these situations as we're setting them before you in prayer. You tell us to let our requests be known to you. We're doing that. We're doing it in a way that's thankful and full of faith trusting in you, believing that you're going to accomplish your perfect will. I don't have to worry or be fretful. I don't have to be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, I'm going to let my request be known to you. And as I'm doing that, your peace that does not make sense is going to fill us and guard our hearts and our minds. I pray, God, you raise up in this room a group of people who are filled with that level of peace. Not because their circumstance or situation has instantaneously changed, but because they are totally trusting you with it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. Hey, if you have a Bible, let's find Galatians chapter 2 together, all right? Galatians chapter 2. We're going to be in verse 15 and finish up chapter 2 today so we are in a study of the book of galatians that we're simply calling the gospel and the idea behind it is we're seeing how the simple gospel of jesus christ changes everything all right so every week we're we're setting before us a simple definition of the gospel that we're repeating together just to kind of get it in our heart so that we understand what it is we're talking about we're all on the same page so let's kind of do that together again all right so when we say the gospel here's what we mean So, repeat this with me, read it off the screen. Let's just say it all together. The gospel is right standing with God that was bought by Jesus on the cross, and it is enjoyed only by faith in his work. Anything added to the gospel ruins it, and you miss Jesus. So, this is the gospel. It's faith just in the finished work of Christ on the cross. Now, in our society today, and it was true 2,000 years ago with the book of Galatians, and it's true for us as well, there are two big ways that people distort and monkey with the gospel. Legalism and license, okay? Legalism is when you focus on your actions and your performance and not on Jesus, right? You try to live right, right? But it's completely based on you and your ability to follow the rules, right? That's one way of completely monkeying and messing up this thing. The other way is license. License is you've made a profession by faith in Jesus Christ. You've, you've asked Jesus into your heart. You prayed the prayer. That's great. However, Jesus has not changed you significantly at all. You being a Christian has way more to do with fire insurance and you not going to hell when you die. Not Jesus being the Lord of your life today right legalism and license and if you've been in church longer than 10 minutes you've seen someone in both of these camps right you've seen the legalist who is all about the rule all about the rule all about the rule and you've seen the licensed person that's like hey look jesus forgives me right that's what the bible says so i can act like a heathen no right no neither of them understand the gospel and neither of them potentially are even saved in the first place Right? We, we, we reject both of these as understandings of the gospel. We see the true gospel that's just faith in Christ. And so today what we're going to tackle is how does the gospel impact us and empower us to live differently? Right? What do we do? How do we resist temptation? How do we turn from sin? How do we walk away from the hypocrisy that we saw last week on display? How do we live lives different? Right? That's going to be how we tackle today. How does the gospel set us free? The answer is the gospel, and the gospel, faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ empowers you to live the life that Jesus died to give you. The answer is the gospel, and faith in the gospel is what empowers you to actually live out this life. All right, So we pick up where we left off last week. So if you are with us last week, the Apostle Paul is rebuking Peter for hypocrisy in his life. Right? Peter knows that Christians don't have to live according to the Jewish laws, but he's still doing it anyway and encouraging other people to do it. It's total hypocrisy, and Paul is calling him out on this. And he's still kind of uh, letting him have it when we pick it up in verse 15. That conversation is still going. So, let's start in verse 15. And we're, in, in, in doing this, again, we're looking to try to answer this question. How do we actually live differently? How does the gospel empower us to live differently in this life? So, verse 15, Galatians chapter 2. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So that we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith. Faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. All right, so here's what's going on. Paul is still ranting at Peter for dipping back into legalism. And here's what Paul is saying to Peter Peter, you and I both grew up in good Jewish homes with good Jewish parents to teach us how to be good Jewish boys and live good Jewish lives and obey the rules like we're supposed to do. And both of us know we crashed and burned miserably. Both of us know obeying the rules did not justify us before God. We needed Jesus Christ. We could not be good enough. We couldn't obey the rules enough. We needed Jesus to be right with God. And as he's telling him this, Paul uses a word, that's the first time he's going to use it in Galatians, but it's going to be a mainstay, significant um, idea in the book of Galatians. It's the word justified. Verse 16, again, it says, We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So That word justified is really significant. It's dikau. It, it's kind of a legal term. The idea is you go before a judge. You've been uh, accused of charges, you go before the judge, and the judge finds you innocent, right? You're, you're, you're completely and totally set free. You are deemed righteous by this judge. You have not broken this law. You're good. You're clear. You're able to go, right? And, and from a religious perspective, here's what it means. You are, you are counted righteous. You are declared righteous by God. You are justified. You are seen holy and righteous and pure and clean before God. And it says how that happens. Again, know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. That little phrase, faith in Jesus Christ, is significant. It literally is. We have believed into Jesus Christ. The idea is this. When you ask Christ into your heart, when you become a Christian, you are by faith stepping in to Jesus, his perfect, righteous, holy obedience. You are stepping into him, and now it's not that you're righteous and holy, but Jesus is, and he has given that righteousness and holiness to you. Here's the big idea. When you become a Christian, you are perfectly, 100%, without equivocation, Faultless, holy, pure, and justified before God because of your faith in Jesus Christ. At the moment of salvation, you are holy. You are a saint. You are righteous. You are sinless. You are faultless. This is who you are. This is significantly important. All right, so let's do a pop quiz, all right? On a scale of 1 to 10, just say it to yourself. Don't have to say it out loud. To yourself, on a scale of 1 to 10, how righteous is Jesus? Right? Just in your mind, have a number. Scale of 1 to 10, 1 being very, very low, 10 being perfect, how righteous is Jesus? The answer is going to be 10, correct? Like, he is God. Right? If, If there's anything less than that, shoot me an email. We need to have coffee. Okay? He's righteous. He's holy. He's God. Now, for you, on a scale of one to 10, how righteous are you? On a scale of one to 10, just in your mind, game it out, how righteous would you consider yourself? For many of us, we kind of start to do a little game, right? We go, okay, well, I'm not perfect, but I'm not that guy, right? So I'm gonna give myself like a five, right? On a good day, I'm like a six. I did my quiet time yesterday. I'll even go six and a half. I'm doing all right. The truth is this. When the question is asked, how righteous are you, there are only two possible answers. You are either a zero or you are ten. And here's why. Because before God, your righteousness is not about you. It is about Jesus. And if Jesus is perfectly righteous and you believe by faith into Jesus, you are now perfectly righteous. You are holy. You are a saint. This is who you are. Put that stuff on your resume. Right. Qualifications. Saint. This is your identity. This means everything. You can't live the Christian life unless you understand this basic fundamental truth. By faith in Jesus Christ, you are are righteous. You are holy. You are perfect. You are pure, you are sinless, you are faultless. Now, here's the question. I know in your mind you're thinking, okay, I got you. And so if I'm gonna be honest, I don't live that. Okay, before God I am sinless, I am righteous, I'm holy, I'm pure. But what do I do about the sin that's in my life? How do I, how do I handle that? And the Apostle Paul, knowing that's a question that's going to come up, answers that. Verse 17. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? So the question that's being asked is, if there's still sin in our lives... After we're justified by Christ, does that mean that Jesus is okay with our sin? Does it mean that Jesus is incapable of doing anything about our sin? What does this look like? So for these these legalists, these Judaizers, these these people from Jerusalem that came in, that's what they were trying to say. All right, look, you're saying that you're justified just by faith in Jesus Christ. Well, if that's true, then why are you still doing bad things? Is the justification in Christ not enough? Did it not make you right enough? See, clearly it didn't. See, it, 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 it handled some things, but clearly there's still junk in your life. So that's why you need us to come along and say, here are some rules for you to follow. Which is almost every church you've ever gone to. Yes, you believe by faith in Jesus Christ and you get to go to heaven now. Amen. Now, you still got junk in your life. So, here are the rules. You're going to heaven, that's just Jesus. Yes, yes, yes. we're not messing with that at all, amen. But you still got stuff. So obey this, 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 and this. And to that, most of us go, that makes sense, okay. But the problem is going to be this, the Bible. All right, so let's keep reading. Here's Paul's answer. Okay, if you're saying I'm justified in Christ, but I still have sin, does that mean the cross was insufficient? Does that mean I'm not saved enough? Does that mean I'm not really right before God? Look how he answers it at the end of verse 17. Certainly not. He's screaming, no. That is not what that means. Does that mean I need to add some works now? No. Here's what Paul is saying, and this is This is powerful, and we're going to have to understand these things so we can take some steps into how we walk out the life. He's saying, you are perfectly, 100%, through faith in Jesus Christ, righteous, holy, pure, justified, clean, sinless, faultless. This is your identity. This is your reality. This is who you are. And at the same time, you still sin. Right? There are still things in your life. That is sin. And Jesus isn't okay with that. Jesus doesn't want that in there. Uh, Yes, Jesus loves you and accepts you just the way you are. Okay? Jesus loves you and accepts you just the way you are. And, listen to me, he loves you way too much to let you stay just the way you are. Are you tracking with that? Yes, you are righteous and holy and pure and justified. But you still got junk in your life that Jesus wants to deal with. The question for us is, how does that happen? Yes? So, I, I love this. Again, we have to get settled into our brains the fact that we are righteous, holy, pure, justified, sinless, faultless before God through faith in Jesus Christ. If that is not settled in your heart, you will crash and burn trying to rid your life from sin. You will horrifically, spectacularly crash and burn. I love the way Martin Luther, the great reformer, defined Christianity. I just want to read this definition to you. This is Martin Luther's definition of a Christian. A Christian is not somebody who has no sin, but somebody against whom God no longer counts sin. ...because of his faith in Christ. Listen to how he finishes. This doctrine brings comfort to the consciences and serious trouble. When you have sin and struggle and strife and rebellion and fear and junk in you... What's going to bring life to your dry and weary soul is the understanding that at that moment, you are no less righteous and holy and accepted and loved and redeemed than if you never committed that sin ever again. If you believe by faith in Jesus Christ today, you will never, no matter what you do, be more righteous than you are right now. And if you believe by faith in Jesus Christ for salvation today, and you keep struggling with a sin, you are never going to be less righteous than you are right now. You are totally, 100% right and holy before God. So then, how do we handle the sin? Right? How do we walk free? From the stuff that's still there i'm righteous and holy and pure and justified and nothing can change that but i still have the sin so what do i do with that all right so pick it up in verse 18 let's first again do what we can to flush away a fallacy verse 18 for if i rebuild what i tore down i prove myself to be a transgressor Verse 19, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. That last little phrase in verse 19, that I might live to God. So if you were to ask the average churchgoer, how do you live for God? They would immediately probably start rattling off a bunch of things to do. How do you live for God? Well, you know, you, you go to church and you try to read your Bible. You pray. And, you, you know, you want to give, you want to give, that's good. Um, uh, you want to, you know, uh, be, you know and, and if you've you know, been hanging around here for long, you start using our terminology. Well, you've know, you got to be in community, right? You've got to be in community, right? you got to be in a group. Yeah, that's important. And what I want you to see, and what, what the Apostle Paul is saying in verse 19 is, in order for you to really start living for God, you have to understand you obeying the rules is not the way you live for God. I know it's counterintuitive, and it doesn't make sense. It's a, it, it, it's a mindset shift that's important for us to have, and the Holy Spirit's the one that has to do it in us. You, living for God, has nothing to do with you obeying the rules that you think God has laid out. That is not how you live for Him. That is not how you accomplish that. In fact, verse 18 says, in trying to do that, you're actually going to show yourself to be an even bigger sinner. Right? If, I, if I try to rebuild what I tore down. If I, uh, so he tore down the idea that he gets to God by obeying the rules. So now that he's gotten to God, if he rebuilds that and says, okay, so I got to God by faith in Christ, but now I grow in that by obeying the rules. He said, all I'm doing is showing myself an even bigger transgressor, an even bigger sinner. This doesn't fix anything. So what should you do? Verse 19, what does it say? For through the law I died to the law... So that I might live to God. What he's saying is this. The way that he was able and empowered to live for God is by dying to the idea that obeying rules is going to help him do that. He had to die to the law. Right now today you have to die to the law. And notice it says Paul died to the law. It's not that the law died. The law isn't bad. God's rules are good. They convey to us the character and nature and holiness, the heart of God. They're a good thing. They're not bad. But you thinking that obeying those is what's going to get you to God is wrong. And you have to die to that. So how do you die to the law? You die to the law by seeing the fact that the law cannot save you. It just condemns you. The point of the Ten Commandments is not for you to obey them so that you're right before God. The point of the Ten Commandments is to show you you can't obey them, so you need a savior. The illustration that I used last week, you woke up this morning, you went to the bathroom, you looked in the mirror to get ready for to come to church today. You didn't look in the mirror, see what needs to be fixed, then rip the mirror off the wall and start trying to comb your hair with it. The mirror exists to show you what needs to be fixed, not to be the tool that fixes it. The law of God shows you what needs to be fixed in you, not to be the tool by which you are fixed. You must Die to that idea. It won't help you. It just makes you a bigger sinner because all you do is realize I can't do it. I can't do it. I keep trying and I mess up and I finally get this right and then this becomes a problem. Right? It's it's a leak in a dam and you're you eventually you run out of fingers. You put your nose in one. You got nothing left to do. You can't get right before God by obeying the rules. It can't fix you. So then how do you do it? And that's where we get to verse 20. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So listen to me very carefully. Jesus gave his life for you. So that he can give his life to you. In order that he may be able to now live his life out through you. Okay? This is the whole point of Christianity. This is what Galatians 2.20 teaches you. Jesus gave his life for you. In order that he may be able to give his life to you so that he can now live his life out through you. Me living the Christian life has nothing to do with me and everything to do with Jesus. Listen to me. That's why it's called Christianity and not Bradianity. It's not about me trying to obey. It's about Jesus already perfectly did. Christianity is about Jesus perfectly obeyed. Jesus died in my place because I couldn't. Jesus victoriously rose again. Jesus gave his life to me through the Holy Spirit. And now Jesus lives his life out through me through the Holy Spirit. It is about Jesus and not about you. When we understand this, when we grasp this beautiful, glorious, amazing reality, it changes everything everything it is christianity not you-ianity it is not about you and i it's about jesus what he has done and what he now does by faith through you so look again at verse 20 i have been crucified with christ it's no longer i who live but christ who lives in me in some real way some beautiful glorious reality it's spiritual but it is real nonetheless When I trust my faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, I died on the cross with Jesus 2,000 years ago. So when Jesus died, he died not just in my place. Jesus literally died as me. When Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago, in some real way, I died with him. When he was on the cross, I was on the cross. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it is Jesus who lives in me. Christianity isn't about you doing the work because if you believe by faith in Christ, you've died. You can't yell at dead people to breathe. They don't do that. Which is why you can't be yelled at to obey the rules. You're dead. It's not you doing it. It's Jesus. I've been crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live, it's Jesus who lives in me. So then how do you do that? Right, so what does that mean? I mean, I'm still here, I'm still living and breathing, I have a brain that functions, I still have a free will, I have to choose to do this or choose to do that, God's given me reason and rationality, I have to choose to pick up my bible and read it i have to choose to pray i have to choose to be involved with the church i mean i'm still doing things so how does this work that i'm dead and jesus is alive but it's not me doing it it's him doing it but i'm still doing stuff how does this work second half of verse 20 i've been crucified with christ it's no longer i who live but christ who lives in me here listen to this And the life I now live in the flesh, like you're still living and breathing and thinking and reasoning and rationaling and choosing stuff and choosing not stuff, and you're doing all that things. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul seems to be saying here that he trusts Christ, as he trusts in Christ, moment by moment by moment, Jesus is going to empower him to live out that life. Right? It's not about Paul doing it. It's not about me doing it. It's not about you doing it. I'm still living and breathing and thinking and reasoning and making decisions and doing all of those things. But I'm doing it every single second, trusting by faith in Jesus Christ to actually be the one who lives this out through me. So think about it kind of like this. So I'll, I'll give this illustration. Um, so um, it is without debate at all that Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player to ever live. And, and if you say anything else, we do practice church discipline here, and we will kick you out, okay? So, so that is without debate or conversation. Um, in fact, when, back during the whole quarantine thing, so when ESPN came out with the, the uh, Michael Jordan documentary, I made all of my kids sit and watch it because this is history, all right? You are going to watch this. And then they started dropping F-bomb, so I had to figure out, find the clean version. But imagine I'm at the Y, and I'm playing ball, right? So, so if you do this, you go, to the ball, you go to the gym early in the morning or whatever and play ball with guys. You're out there. I mean, you're, you're old like me, and you're trying your best. You always have some 20-year-old kid that comes in, like, let's run full court. Like, no, junior, sit in the corner. All right, no, you, you don't get to play. But imagine I'm out there. I'm trying my best. I'm doing what I can. And as the uh, game's over, I walk out, and I'm getting some water, and Michael Jordan comes up to me. He says, hey, man, listen. So I've used all my millions and millions of dollars to to create a machine, all right? And with this machine, if you trust me, like you give yourself to this thing, I'm going to be able to put myself in you. And my basketball ability at the heights of my level is going to be filled inside of you. And it's going to be you doing the You're dribbling. You're shooting. You're jumping. You're playing. You're doing the stuff. But I am going to be able to use my ability, my ability through you to do things that you never, ever, ever could have done otherwise. All you got to do is give yourself to me and let me do it. Be like, yeah, let's do it. Now look at that 20-year-old kid like, you want to play? Right, come on. And the idea is, as I'm giving myself to this, it is still me doing it. Right? I'm still working. I'm still moving. I still have to decide, dribble right, left, shoot, whatever. I'm still doing those things. But it's Michael Jordan empowering me with his ability to accomplish things in that I never could otherwise. Okay? Now, in Christ. You are still living and breathing and working and moving and rationalizing and thinking and making decisions, yes, no. All, you're doing all of those things. But now as a Christian, you get to do it by faith in Christ and ask him to live his perfect sinless life out through you as you're doing that. So, so it kind of looks like this. So some, some common things that we think through, some common issues that we have. Things like We're talking about forgiveness, unforgiveness. I can't forgive that person. I can't reconcile with that person. I can't get over that. I can never do this. And to that, God would say, I totally agree. You can't. You can't do that. But Jesus Christ can. And so you trust by faith in him to live his life out through you. He will empower you to do things that you're right. You could never, ever, ever do or sins that we struggle to put away. I can never stop doing that. I can never stop looking at that. I try and I do good for a little bit and then I fail. And I try and I do good for a little bit and I fail. I can never get over this. To that, God says, I completely agree with you. You can't. That's why I'm not asking you to do it. I'm asking you to trust by faith in Jesus Christ to do this through you. I would say for Marie and I, us coming to a greater realization of this truth, Saved our marriage, and it it saved it because at first it was about she and I as Christians. I mean, we were Christians. We were trying to serve in ministry. We were trying to bless other people, and and, but but we were struggling hard. I was trying to fix me, and she was trying to fix her, and then I was trying to fix her, and she was trying to fix me. And all of these things were happening. And what we were doing, we were trying our best to be better. And it just kept, the dumpster fire just kept raging. Until God, by his grace, began to open up our eyes to this truth. It's no longer I who live, it's Jesus Christ who lives me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in him who loves me and gave himself for me. It's not about me, it's about Christ so in all of these things I could never do this I could never get over that I could never forgive this I could never reconcile with them in that I could never do that I could never lead a journey group I could never stand up and give my testimony I could never share the gospel with my neighbor God looks at you and says I know you can't you're 100% correct stop beating yourself up over that you can't you don't have that ability you don't possess that strength you can't do it Praise God that you died on the cross 2,000 years ago. Jesus now lives in you, and in this life you trust by faith in him to live out through you, and he can do it. It's about every day, moment by moment, second by second, trusting by faith in Jesus to live this life out through you, not you. The illustration that I give a lot with this is trying to teach a 15-year-old how to drive a stick shift. You ever done that? Isn't that a blessing and a joy? Right? You're doing that thing. You need a chiropractor appointment afterwards. Transmission just dropped out in the middle of the road. So if you, you know, learn to drive a, a stick shift, which you should all teach your children to learn to do that, right? Because you don't ever know when they're going to be in a spot. they got to get somewhere, and they don't want to get in the car and go, I don't know how to drive this thing. So that has nothing to do with the sermon, just letting you know. If you've ever learn how to drive a stick shift at first it's it's brutal right it's so hard it's your you're having to think about everything right off the gas in the clutch find the gear off the clutch add the gas and oh oh, little, oh, oh, find it find it there we go okay all right now we're good right you're you're literally thinking about every second of it and then you roll up to a stop sign and it's a little bit of an incline you're like oh great now we're all gonna die right this is just this is just it right? you didn't realize how much of an incline was there until you had it like oh no but then what happens eventually you do it so much it just becomes memory. Right? It's just muscle memory. You don't even think about it anymore. You just do it. And it's the same thing spiritually. It might be that legitimately a thousand times a day, you have to stop and say, Jesus Christ, I can't do this. I need you to live out through me. I can't, but I know that you can. I thank you. I'm asking by faith, empower me. This morning, as we're getting ready to come here, we're talking, Marie and I, we're talking and praying about the day. And, 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 and we, she says, you know, I'm praying, Jesus, you are an expert at loving people. So as I'm interacting with people today, you love people through me in a way that I can't do it. What is that? It's trusting by faith in Jesus to do what we can't do. And the more we do it, and the more we do it, and the more we do it. Again, it may have to be a thousand times a day, but the more we do it, it becomes that, almost that spiritual muscle memory. It becomes the way we live life. We're living by faith in Jesus and not in our own strength. Faith in Jesus and not in our own strength. Faith in Jesus and not in our own strength. I'm going to ask our band to come up. And... And as I do that, I want to read the last verse, Galatians 2.21. It says, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Look, if if you could earn your way to God, then there's no point for Jesus to die. Right? And if you could do that, there would be no point of the cross. The whole point of the the whole, again, everything about Christianity points to the fact that you can't fix you. That's why Jesus had to die. Because you can't do it. So, the truth is this. This week, I, your pastor, I'm going to find some way to completely jack it up. I'm going to say something I shouldn't say. I'm gonna do something I shouldn't do. I'm gonna think something I shouldn't think. I'm gonna have an attitude that I shouldn't have. I am, it is a literal guarantee I'm going to do that. And if it bothers you or offends you that your pastor would 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 have that kind of problem this week, then then you're probably gonna need to find a different church. That's the thing that's gonna happen. Uh, But the issue is again, I'm righteous and holy and pure. Yes, I still have sin in my life, just like you. But Jesus desires to set me free from that and empower me to walk in more and more and more holiness. So the, answer is, the question is going to be, how do I address that sin? And if I start thinking, All right, I shouldn't do this, and I know I shouldn't, and I'm going to get better, and I'm going to stop doing this, and I'm going to start doing that. When I do that, I'm basically just again saying the cross didn't need to happen. No, the answer for me is going to be, Jesus, I said that, I did that, I, I thought that, I had that attitude, I responded in that way, fill in the blank. I know that's sin, I know that's contrary to your heart, I know that's contrary to your law, I know that it is. Jesus, I thank you that you forgive me. I thank you, Jesus, that I am still righteous and holy and pure before you. And Jesus, I'm asking you, empower me to live free from that. I don't want to do that again ask you to forgive me I repent and I turn from that by faith in you I turn to you Jesus empower me Lord I need you empower me to not do that I trust you Jesus live out through me now I'm looking to the cross and not me see the difference so I want to ask you to bow your heads and and for some of you here today Jesus Christ came and he died and he rose again to save you you need to believe by faith in Jesus Christ to be saved today you need to believe by faith in Jesus Christ to be saved trust by faith in him to make you new today you can say Jesus Christ I know that you died and you rose again to save me thank you Jesus forgive me of my sin take that away Jesus I want to die with you on the cross this old life I don't want anything with it anymore I want it to be done and gone Jesus take it away from me Give me a new life in you. I trust you, Jesus. Today, you can do that. Do that. Trust by faith in Christ for salvation. And then let us know so we can pray for you. And for those of you who are followers of Christ today, isn't it good news that the gospel empowers you to live the life that Jesus died to give you? And it's not about you and your strength and your ability. It's just about Jesus Christ. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Lord, we thank you. We thank you. Today we look to you, we ask you to do the work in us that only you can. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: I want to invite you to stand with us as we close singing together on the wonderful cross of Christ. Let's celebrate these truths in our lives. Let's sing.
1: that and nothing else. Thank you for the cross that sets us free. Thank you for the cross that makes us new and new, Jesus. Thank you for the cross that empowers us to walk in the life that you give. Thank you, Jesus. We look to you by faith and that alone for all of life. We love you, Lord. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. God bless you guys. We love you. Have a great week. Thank mm-hmm. you.